Scripture teaches us about the love that we are supposed to have in our lives, how we are supposed to love God, how we are supposed to love others. And the truth is, every one of us falls short in this. But there's good news for us. Uh, Turn with me to Luke 10. I've titled today's sermon, The Love That Is Required... Today's text is the passage known as the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it is uh, actually a part of a discussion that's going on uh, about how we are made right with God. Uh, and then it teaches us a lot about the love that we are supposed to have through that. And so, uh, we can see in the text the love that we are called to, but more importantly, uh, the love that we have received in our precious Savior, Jesus. So, Luke 10, 25-37, I'm going to read the passage and pray. Then, an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your strength. I'm sorry, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself... He asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, And took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And today, again, as we do each week, confess it as true. And we need you to work in our minds and our hearts. Help us believe and help us respond accordingly, God. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, that we ask this. Amen. The first thing I want us to see in this text is this. The love that is required 
is a fulfillment of the law. The love that is required is a fulfillment of the law. So it's interesting that this passage starts out with a question about how we're made right with God. uh, About how we can be justified. And so the love that is required is a fulfillment of the law. Let's look at verses 25 through 28 again. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this. And you will live. So an expert in the law goes to Jesus. So maybe a scribe or a Pharisee, someone who has studied what God's law says, the commands of God, understands them, knows them better than most. And goes, he goes to Jesus and has a question for him. Now we see the intent there. He's testing Jesus. Uh, but with that, he asked him, so what must I do? What things do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? Uh, ultimately asking, how can I be made right with God? What are the things that I need to make sure that I've checked off so that when I come to the end of life, I can know that I will receive the promised blessings of eternal life that comes with someone who's faithful. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with a question. Well, what does the law say? What does the law tell you to do? You, you're an expert. You know what's there. You know what you're instructed to do. So, how do you read it? How do you interpret it? What do you think you're supposed to do in order to inherit eternal life? How do you think you'll be justified or made right with God? And the expert in the law answers. And ultimately, in even a shorter version of what he's provided, is love God fully and love others. Right? Love God with every fiber of your being, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that you have. Love God fully. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Treat others the way that you would want to be treated. Love God fully and love others. See, his understanding is this is how you're made right with God. Is just follow the law. Obey what the law says. And he quotes Scripture. He quotes uh, from Deuteronomy 6, is, is the passage known as the Shema, uh, that is, instructs the people of Israel that they should love God fully. That's a, a quote from Deuteronomy 6. And then he quotes, the, the quote from love your neighbor as yourself is a quote from Leviticus. And the 
we're going to see that even Jesus instructs this, but what the people of God came to understand is those statements are, are a summary or a complete understanding of what the law requires. Everything that's in the law, and there were hundreds of commands, everything falls under loving God and loving others as yourself. And so he says, this is what the law says. And Jesus' answer to him is, that's right. That's exactly right. So you want to know what you can do, what things you can do to make sure you've accomplished eternal life? You're right. Love God fully and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus in Matthew 22 verse 37 to 40, explains that everything in the law, everything in the prophets, everything in that God commands of His people falls under this. He was asked, what's the greatest command? Verse 37 of Matthew 22, He said to him, Love the Lord your God. This is Jesus speaking now. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then listen to verse 3. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. They hang on these two commands. Everything that's instructed of the people of God falls under either loving God fully or loving neighbor as ourself. And so Jesus says, look, this is the greatest command. This is what you were supposed to be doing So he tells the expert in the law, you want to know what you're supposed to do for eternal life? Just obey all of the law and you will have done everything that you're supposed to do to inherit eternal life. There's a problem. There's a problem for the expert in the law and there's a problem for every single one of us here though. We can't do it. We can't do everything that is required of us because of our sin, because of our fallen nature, because of the sin in our own hearts and minds. We will not live up to what it is that God has called us to. We will fall short of loving God fully and we will fall short of loving our neighbors as ourselves. And so that leads us to the second point from this text. The love that is required is not possible on our own. The love that is required of us, the kind of obedience that He's called us to, is not possible on our own. So let's look back in Luke 10, verse 29. Jesus says, if you do these things, then you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The expert wants to justify himself. He's still holding on to the idea that this is something that he can accomplish on his own. He can make himself right with God. So, who is my neighbor? Where, where can I draw the lines? And then I will do what's necessary so that I can know I'm going to have eternal life because I've followed exactly what I'm supposed to do. 
the problem is, even in his question, he doesn't understand that he is not loving the way that he's supposed to. See, he he believes that there surely has to be some limits, right? Where can I draw out the line of who is my neighbor? Surely there's some people that don't fall under that category. I don't have to worry about loving them. Is it just the people whose houses are right next door to mine? Is it the people who live kind of on my same street or in my same community? Is it just the people of faith? Where's the line that I can draw to say, well, I'll love these people and then I don't have to worry about loving these others because they're not technically my neighbor. He wants to justify himself. And that's a natural response for us. We, we easily slip into that. Even when we confess, hey, I know I can't be good enough, and I know that I'm only saved by God's grace, we can easily slip into, well, what are the things that I need to do And I want to be able to check my boxes. I have on my phone, like, checklists. I don't know if anybody else has checklists that you have, either reminders on your phone or other apps or maybe just paper checklists. And I love being able to check those boxes. Uh, On my phone, my reminders, I can click the little circle once I've done it, and it disappears, and I'm like, yes, man. And when I get to knock out, like, three or four quickly, it's like, yes, I'm doing everything I need to do. And we often slip into that with our faith. And think like, man, I'm, I'm killing it today, right? I'm doing this. I'm loving people the way that I'm supposed to. I'm, I'm giving. I'm taking care of things. I'm doing everything that's necessary. And so we slip into that. And we often, when we slip into that, start asking, well, is this good enough? Like, have I done enough? Uh, and that's ultimately what the, the uh, expert in the law is asking of Jesus. Well, tell me the lines so that I can see, Jesus, is this good enough? I loved these people. Is that enough for me? That was one of the questions I hated as a teacher. When I, would give a, uh, when I would give a project or an essay and say, okay, this is what you have to do. And I would always have students who would come up with some pathetic looking <laughs> projects and they'd say, Mr. Willie, is this good enough? Like, have I done enough that I can just get by? And, th- and we do that sometimes in our faith. It's, Jesus, have I done enough? Right? thinking that I can accomplish these things. I can, I can check off the boxes, but remember, it's not possible. We cannot live up to exactly everything that God has called us to. And Paul tells us a really important reminder concerning that. Galatians 2, verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God... For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If we could make ourselves right, if we could justify ourselves, if we could check off enough of the boxes in what God has called us to do, to say, okay, I've done what's necessary, if that was possible, Paul says, then Jesus died for no reason. He went to the cross, lost His life, 
for no reason if you were able to do it on your own. But you're not able to do it on your own. And that's why He came. And that's why He lived the perfectly obedient life. And that's why He died in our place, taking the punishment that we deserved. Because it's not possible on our own. You cannot justify yourselves. You can't check off enough boxes in the spiritual life to say, this was enough. I did what was necessary so that I can have eternal life. And so that's a really bad news for us if we stop right there. That you can't do it. But there's really good news for us found in Jesus Christ. And that takes us to our next point. The love that is required has been provided in Jesus. The love that is required has been provided in Jesus. Now, before we continue on to the actual parable of the Good Samaritan, I want us to take a short detour into hearing what Scripture has to say about how we are justified How are we made right with God? Since we cannot do it on our own, since it's not possible for us to do what's necessary, what does Scripture say about how we can be and how we are made right with God? And so we're going to look at three different verses quickly that deal with justification, uh, deal with kind of a term that imputed righteousness, where we've been given the righteousness that Jesus had. And so I want us to look over at 2 Corinthians. All three of these passages are going to come from Paul. He wrote often about the justification that we've been given in Jesus Christ. So 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin... For us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God the Father made the Son who did not sin. Jesus never sinned. He was perfectly obedient to the law for His whole life. He made the one who knew no sin to be sin or to become sin. So that if we would come to Him, then we would have the righteousness of God that God required of us, of what He told us we were supposed to do, we would become the righteousness of God. Then over in Galatians 3, verses 11 through 13, Christ... I'm sorry, that's the wrong verse. That's 13. Starting in 11. Galatians 3, verse 11. Now it is clear that no one is justified by God before the law because the righteous will live by faith. Nobody can be justified with God. Nobody can be made right with God by following the law. And then he says the righteous will live by faith. We'll just put our faith in Jesus. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Just before verse 11 and verse 10, Paul says, 
he quotes Scripture saying, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Every single person, because we have all sinned, is under a curse because of our sin. But it's not through the law that we're made right with God. We're made right with God by having faith in Jesus Christ. And if we've trusted in Him, if we've put our faith in Him, it says Jesus became the curse for us. He took the curse that we deserved when He went to the tree. He took the punishment on the cross that we deserved for our sins. And then over in Romans, one more verse about our justification. Romans 3, 22 through 24. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction. So the righteousness were required, what that verse says in 22, the righteousness that God requires of us comes through faith in Jesus. For anyone that believes, if you believe in Him, then you are declared righteous. You are made right with God. Verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's God's grace if we've believed in Jesus. It's not following the law that's made us right with with God. It's through faith in Jesus. So all of these deal with our justification. And that's a word that uh, in the Christian faith means that we are declared righteous with God. It's not anything that we can do. We want to often live with self-justification like the expert in the law. I've been good enough. I'm not anything like some of the people I know. I've done enough. But that's not ever going to cut it. And so here we're reminded that we are made right with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And if we would just believe in Him, then we are declared righteous. So the word there, justified, sometimes you may have heard somebody kind of try to put it simply to help us kind of remember what that means. Uh, And I've heard people say it like this. It's justified means it's just if I'd never sinned. And that's true. It it is. When God looks at us, if we've put faith in Jesus, He looks at us like we have never sinned. And I've I've heard Jared Wilson, I think it was in one of his books, maybe one of his articles, Jared Wilson said, there's another way to also think about that. It is true that it's justified never sinned, but it's also justified always obeyed. Because what happens when we believe in Jesus? Remember, Jesus was perfectly obedient, never sinned. And then He took the punishment that we deserved for our sins. And if we believe in Him, if we come in faith and trust in Him, then He takes the punishment that we deserved and then He gives us His obedience, His righteousness. It was imputed to us or given to us. Jesus did everything that was required and then died in our place so that when God would look at us, if we've trusted in Jesus, He would see us in Christ's perfect righteousness. Knowing this helps us tremendously as we go on in what uh, Luke tells us about from the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
what Jesus has done for us is He's provided the love and the obedience that is required of us. And so back in Luke 10, we're going to get to the actual parable of the Good Samaritan. And we're going to look at it a little bit different than we probably have looked at it before, but a really helpful way for us. Luke 10, verse 30. Remember, the, the expert in the law has asked, well, who's my neighbor? I want to do what's necessary. Who's my neighbor? Verse 30, Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, had passion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. So Jesus answers the question about who is my neighbor by telling this parable, a teaching story. And he says, okay, there was a man who was leaving Jerusalem and traveling the road to Jericho. Now for the people of that day, they would probably think, oh, I know where this is going. Because the road to Jericho was dangerous. The road to Jericho uh, was, uh, had lots of spaces. There were lots of caverns, lots of caves, lots of places where outlaws would hide, bandits would hide. You would not travel this road on your own if you could have somebody with you on your journey. It was dangerous. People were beaten regularly, robbed regularly on this trip. And so he tells this story, says, okay, there's a guy going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the people there are like, ooh, that's not smart. Uh, He's by himself, and he's going down that road? That sounds really dangerous. But then he tells how, just what you would expect, robbers grab the man, strip him, beat him, and rob him, and leave him half dead in the street. That's what everybody would expect. But the rest of the story turns into some unexpected things. The first unexpected things are, as the man is laying dying in the road, there's two individuals come by that do nothing to help. And a little bit of the surprise is, these are faithful people. These are devout people. First, a priest, a man of God likely coming home from his service at the temple. There were lots of uh, priests that lived in Jericho. And so, as he's heading back home, likely from his service at the temple, sees the man, and does this man of God do anything to care for him? No. 
He sees him and passes by on the other side. I, I don't want to get too close to him. Then a Levite. Uh, Levites were kind of the, the, uh, those that were in the liturgical kind of head of the worship for the religious Jews. Also a very devout follower of God. Sees the man passes by on the other side. Neither of these devout men stop and help a person who's lying in their own blood, dying in the street. And we aren't told why. Uh, you know, there's speculation that it will... I mean, there is the reality that, for especially for the priest, if the priest touches a body that is dead then he is ceremonially unclean. And so maybe the priest is thinking, well, if I go over and help this person and he dies while I'm helping out, then I'm ceremonially unclean. There's also the reality that these, this priest and this Levite who pass by on their own see the man and think, out of fear, I need to get out of here. There are people that have robbed and beaten and stripped this man and left him to die in the street. And if I don't get out of here quickly, then I'm next. But we don't know the reason. Whatever the reason is, these two faithful people see the need and they pass by and do nothing to help. So that's a little bit of a shock. But that's not anywhere near the shock that's going to come uh, in the second part of this parable. A Samaritan. We've talked about this before, right? The Jews and Samaritans hated each other, despised each other. For ethnic differences, for religious differences, they despised each other. If the faithful Jew who's lying in the street dying had had enough strength to actually uh, recognize that it was a Samaritan that was helping him, he likely would have said, no, no, I don't need your help. They did not love each other at all. They despised and hated each other. And a Samaritan steps into this scene, sees the need, and has compassion, is moved with compassion to care for the dying man, bandages up his wounds, provides medical treatment through the pouring on of of olive oil and wine onto the cuts and scrapes, loads him up on his own animal, takes him to an inn, and then cares for him through the night to help restore him to health. And then out of his own money, pays the innkeeper and says, here, take this and take care of him. Provide everything that's needed to heal him and take care of him until he's ready to go. And when I come back by, whatever it's cost beyond this, I will pay you. I will reimburse you. I will do whatever it costs to restore this person. I will do whatever it costs to make sure that this person has new life. Mike McKinley points out a helpful way for us to think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, He says, you know, when we read this passage, we often jump straight to the application at the end, which is, well, okay, which one am I? Would I be someone that would pass by someone in need? Or 
would I be like the Samaritan that steps in and helps out? And that's, that's a helpful thing. We need to consider that. Jesus actually tells the expert in the law, live like the Samaritan. So we should think like that, but Mike McKinley provides a really helpful thing that we need to stop at first. And he says, when we step back and look at the bigger picture what we see actually is that we bear more resemblance to the helpless man who's dying by the side of the road. And it was Jesus who was the hero. It was Jesus who was the one that stepped in. He saw the need and he had compassion and he did whatever was necessary to provide healing, to provide new life. For us, He's the hero. It was through His sacrifice. He said, I'll pay whatever it costs. And it it wasn't financial for Him. He paid with His own blood in order to restore us to the life that He desired for us. And it's because of Him, and it's because of the love that Jesus has shown us, the kind of radical love like the Samaritan had in this story, it's because of that that we actually can pursue love in our lives. And that's what le- it leads us to our, our last point from this text. The love that is required can be pursued because of Jesus. The love that is required can be pursued because of Jesus. So we've been given this call to radical love Love that uh, is costly. Love for even individuals that we normally wouldn't want to love. We've been called to this kind of love. And it actually can be possible now for those of us who have come to faith in Christ. It's possible and can be pursued because of Jesus. So let's look at verses 36 and 37 back in Luke 10. So he's shared the parable of the Good Samaritan, given three examples, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan responded to the need. And in verse 36, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So the the question from the expert in the law was, who is my neighbor? Where can I draw the lines? And I'll check off enough boxes. And Jesus says, there's a better way to ask that question. The better question would be, who can you be a neighbor to? Not who is my neighbor, but who can I go out and be a neighbor to? You've been given the example of radical, costly love. And he says, live like that. That's how you're supposed to live. Live like the guy who showed mercy in this story. Live like the Samaritan here. With whatever it costs you, be willing to pour yourself out for the good of others. And for those of us who are in Christ... If we've trusted in Jesus, we don't have to do that in order to earn God's approval. Remember, that's what the expert in the law wanted. 
How can I inherit eternal life? What must I do? So I'm going to check off the boxes so that I can say I've done what's necessary to earn God's approval. But if we've come to faith in Christ, we don't have to try to earn God's approval with this kind of radical, costly love. But what we can do is we can pursue this radical, costly love because of Jesus, because of the the radical, costly love that he had for us. We looked at this verse maybe last week or the week before, but it sums up such a great reminder for us that I I wanted for us to look at it again. Titus 2, verse 14. He, speaking about Jesus, He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse us for Himself, a people for His own possession, eager to do good works. Works. Jesus gave of himself costly love, poured out his own blood in order to save us. And Titus 2.14 says he did that to make us his own and then to turn us into people who are eager to do what God calls us to do. Eager to love radically, even if it cost us. We can pursue the life that God has called us to. A life of loving God fully with every fiber of our being and loving our neighbor as ourselves because of Jesus, because He redeemed us. It's possible for us to live like this. We are called to be a people who fully loves God and loves others. And we've seen the bad news is there's not one of us that can do it. We will not live up to that standard so that we could say, I've done what's necessary. I've earned it on my own. It's not possible. But the really good news for every single one of us is, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, we can be made right with God. And because of Jesus, we can then pursue the life that God is calling us to through the power of the Holy Spirit. So first and foremost, if you are here and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, that's most important for you today. Scripture says we are all sinners. We have all done things that God does not desire for us. We have all broken God's law. But God loved us enough that He sent His Son for us and Jesus lived perfectly obedient and then died in our place. And the Bible says if you would just believe in Him, if you would just trust in Him and the salvation that He's provided, then you will be forgiven. You will be saved. You will be adopted as one of God's children, a son of God or a daughter of the Most High God, if you would just believe in Jesus. So if you've never done that, today's the day to trust in Jesus. And God will start to see you as His own child. And you will be given the Holy Spirit. And He will start to shape you into the man or the woman or the child that He wants you to be. And for us, church if you've already trusted in Jesus for your salvation, it's, just, it's so good for us to be reminded of the Savior that we've been given. 
What a glorious Savior who stepped into our broken world and saw us helpless and had compassion on us and did what it cost in order to rescue us and to restore us to new life. And now, through the Holy Spirit, He's working to change us into the people of God that He wants us to be. And so because of that, This week, let's continue to stand in the righteousness that we have because of Jesus and let's pursue the kind of costly, radical love that we're called to because of the costly, radical love that Jesus gave us. Let's pray. God, You are so good to us and faithful. Thank You for Your love for us. Jesus, thank You for the sacrifice that You made in order to redeem us out of our hopeless situation and give us new life. God, forgive us for the times that we don't love You fully and we don't love others as You've called us to. For those who have never trusted in Jesus, Holy Spirit, work now. Stir in their hearts and minds the desire to know more about believing in Jesus. Bring them to faith. And for your church, God, as we've been reminded of the radical love that was given in order to save us, keep shaping us. We, we hold on to the promise that you aren't through with us yet and you will complete the task. And so keep working in us to produce the kind of love that you want us to have. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.